You've found it, and we are ready to rise with you. Rise with Sid McNary. This podcast is an extension of the Art of Peaceful Living movement. Get ready to enjoy, be empowered, and elevate your life as we rise together. Grab your beverage of choice. No matter where you are, the time is now. Here he is, your leader for a better today. Rise with Sid McNary. It's time we start living your dream. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Nuala Norton, and I'm in conversation with shaman, yogi, prosecutor of peace, Sydney McNary. Welcome, Sydney, um, and thanks for and thanks for having me. Actually, <laughs> yes, it's great to spend this time with you, and it's been a long time since anybody's called me Sydney. So, thank you. <laughs> So this is a series of, of, of four, and, and it's looking at the, the um, what you call the vision quest. Um, I was wondering if you could start off by explaining what is the vision quest and what's the, the significance of four? Yeah, so vision quest is a, a Native American experience where someone goes out on the land and spends time you know, it's a preparation first that starts Vision Quest. So it starts with a request. And, you know, for me, that request looked like wanting to shift and get my life back in alignment to peace for myself. And so I had to make a request, presenting tobacco to my grandmom and, and, uh, and going through that. And then after that, then there's, Prayers, 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 prayers. You're praying to create uh, your prayer circle, prayers for the sweat lodge, prayers for the prayer flags, and all these different things that you're praying about. And, and it's 405 prayers for the, the circle. It's 75 prayers for the lodge and seven prayers for your space that you sit in, as well as seven prayers for the lodge area. And so that's the beginning you know, really making a commitment to setting the intention, because that's really what prayers come down to, is setting the intention for what it is that I want to bring forward in any way, you know, whether it's praying on a daily basis, praying over my food, praying uh, before I go to sleep or when I wake up, all those things are, are intentional settings uh, and a way of communicating. You know, communication has two parts, speak and listen. Prayer is how we speak, and then listening is meditating or sitting, being quiet, and, and that's what takes place on Vision Quest. You once you're out on the mountain, uh, you're doing walking meditation, you're doing seat, seated meditation, and really looking in and and the whole idea of giving up uh, food and water is a give back to say, okay, I am reaching in this space in order to have spirit speak, you know, and listen to that. So that's, that's what Vision Quest is. It's really a commitment uh, in the Native American customs to going through a process to make a connection to the source of all things, the great spirit. Okay, and the source of all things, and this, this is intriguing me because um, from what I understand and hopefully you'll explain, 
um, it, it, it doesn't all start with when we're born or even when we're conceived. This whole journey starts before that um, when in your sphere of, of conscience, consciousness, um, we actually choose our own womb. We choose where we're going to be born into. How does that work? Well, when I, from my, my awareness, right? Like that's, that's what I know. Something could come and shift my awareness. I'm open to that at any point in time. Yet science has shown, and it's easy for us to know that you are the egg of the egg of the egg of the egg of the egg, and we all go back to the original egg, right? Like that's hard to, hard to argue anything other than that. We all go back to the original egg. And so with that being said, the essence, the energy that is coming in is picking its host. It's picking its host for what it will scientifically become. It knows that. Like, that is, and from my awareness, that is a choice way before I get into this level of consciousness. And so I chose my parents for what I needed to get from them to become who I am today. You know, both of my parents were uh, teachers. My dad started out as a college professor that went on to be, uh, to work for the government and become this world renowned guy creating space within the science world uh, for helping others develop. My mom was, um, was a school teacher in high school for 20 something years, 26 or 27 years. And so I was, I numero numerology wise, I am a four, which means I am meant to be a teacher. Well, who else is gonna teach me to teach other than the people that are constantly raising me. I was raised by two teachers that and then I could go into all the different things that I have become based on the host family <laughs> that, you know, it's like when I came over to England to play soccer, I had a host family. This was my host family that I chose to guide my spirit in this life. I mean, do you actually remember consciously? This, this is, I, I get this in terms of if you watch the lights of Star Trek, there are, there are characters who, uh, embody the same host body until the host body can't live any longer and then it, it transforms into another person's body. Um, that's the way I'm understanding it, right? But it, it seems that it's not too far from the truth. I mean, and it is based on ancient wisdom um, and even quantum science. Um, so where does our awareness come? Does it come before we're born? I mean, do you remember anything about that transition? You know, the interesting thing about that for me now is I, when I talk about things, like I could talk about being born and I can see mm -hmm. that. Now, some people may argue that I'm just seeing what I've seen since, right? Like I'm seeing a reflection of what I've come to learn, or maybe even a video that I've seen or something like that. Yet, I've never seen a video of 
my energetic parents, yet I can see them. I've, I've just been fortunate that my parents, my parents that I have, Bobby and Sydney McNary, the parents that I have allowed me the freedom to, and almost a, uh, a, they left me with the sense of, I didn't have to disconnect so much to be safe on earth. So that gives me, at least from my vantage point, gives me an access point to seeing more because I didn't have to forget it. So many people go through many different moments that cause them to have to be more in survival mode. So then they're not remembering the other things because they're, they're remembering those initial survival moments mm-hmm. that hold them back. So for me, and I've done work, you know, there's, there's a lot of different work that pe- people can do. I've, d- I've been hypnotized to, to go back in and see where I am. Uh, I've done breath work for, man, probably 30 something times, you know, uh, that allows me to go back. So at this point, some of the things that have come through from breath work, breath work is done so that your breath goes and finds anywhere in your body that is stuck on a cellular memory, Mm -hmm. right? So if it's stuck, then the breath goes into it and almost breaks that open. So now that memory comes through and that that's, what's opened up a lot for me. Uh, Yet even pre that I, I know when I was, when I was really young, I used to want to go to sleep at night and I would have, my father's actually even spoken about this, but I'd have a dream or on my way to the dream, I'd feel my face feel like it was like, I'm in like a 400 mile per hour car with the windows, no windows, just in the wind with my face being pulled back. And then I moved through stars and darkness and end up somewhere as if I left my body to do it. And so I've had a lot of experiences that have kept me aware of there's something more than earth. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that think this is it. There's a universe out there. It's huge. It's so huge. We can't even get to the other side of it. What makes me think that something is not beyond earth? Fortunately, I, I've, I've, I have expanded well beyond that. And people I think are open to that expansion now, more so than when I was a little kid. When were you first aware that this wasn't what every child understood or experienced? I would have to say that when I, when I got into sports, I started realizing that uh, there's something different because Mm -hmm. I could slow everything down and no one was aware that I, that it was so slow for me that I could move slowly what perceived in my mind is slow, but then it would speed back up and I would go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that, or when I would get, fortunately, unfortunately, I got in a lot of fights as a kid. So I could see 
that it was always slow for me. So that's why I, I won fights because it was slow. So there was, I always had this different perspective, even though I didn't talk about it, it just slowed mm -hmm. down. And, and so that ability to keep things slowing down in order to move was just always different. So I've, I've had that awareness. And then when I was much younger, uh, at the beginning of life, and mm -hmm. I would, you know, like four, uh, I would go in the woods and and I would see things like the ants and want to kick over their hip mound. And I always, for some reason, I just wanted to challenge the the essence of everything around me and see, all right, well, there's a snake here. Well, what's the snake going to do? Why, why can't, or I'm going to catch these frogs or, you know, my father's saying, you know, if you can catch a rabbit, you'll be one of the fastest people on earth. I caught a rabbit. I always <laughs> wanted to, to with my bare hands with my feet ran it down caught it and then when i brought it home he's like what the hell are you doing holding that rabbit uh, <laughs> that was just i i wanted to my whole life i've just wanted to go beyond what someone tells me is what it is there's more to it than that there's more to it than what someone could possibly tell me when they can't tell me how to do how to heal myself. They can't tell me how to make a baby. They can't tell me all these things, but these things are here. So mm -hmm. I've had this curiosity to want to know more than one plus one equals one. We'll get into that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any, what we would call um, imaginary friends? You know, I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I remember playing late. I always wanted to be by myself. I didn't have imaginary friends because like in my baby crib, my mom had mirrors on the whole thing, all around, all the walls. So I just loved playing with, playing in the bed with the image of me. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was my, my joy came from, oh, there's the baby. That's me. I didn't even necessarily recognize it as me. I was playing with another baby in my mm -hmm. mind yet it was myself. And so I, you know, this idea of imaginary friends, from my understanding, it's not even a, it's not something outside of that toddler or kid. It's actually them. It's another variation of them. And that's the, because like I just said, one plus one equals one. We all come from the one. So mm -hmm. anything that we think is actually another is still part of the one. It's still part of me. And so when I would see something, which I have seen spirits, I always knew we were connected. They, they, it's just, I've never had that idea of separation, really. You know, mm -hmm. I, since I've gotten older and people move, I realized, oh, well, that that person like yourself if we go back far enough we're together yet we are no different than if i look at my hand i've got five fingers one finger may look at the other finger and say oh that's another finger but they're still part of the hand right and that's that's where we're all walking around we're all part of the hand mm. you know so I've just had a different way of thinking all my life. So much that my parents would be like, where, where are you coming up with that? 
<laughs> you know, that's just <laughs> been my nature to think differently and not never want to be put in a box that I've always stayed out of the boxes. And you did have an experience that that made you make a decision about whether to go through the light, as they call it, or come back. Um, at a very early age, I think, was that you were three? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I had this um, strange thing going on where I could drink a Kool-Aid or uh, eat a Flintstone vitamin, and then I would pee that color. So I had to have some work done in order to shift that. And I, I remember looking up as they're pulling the light over, and then I was just in the light. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was no longer the light overhead. It was, I'm in the light. And mm -hmm. I remember the vastness of that space. I've since learned to really get there in my meditation but the vastness that just went on forever and then i heard this voice that says said i got you and I, and and in that moment it was kind of like oh you got me all right i can go back mm. if you got me then i'm good because that place is a little different <laughs> but if you got me then all right i can keep walking with that and that, and that that's been a mantra of mine as long as I can remember. Whenever something would happen, I just, that, that brings me peace to know that something's got me, you know. And, did uh, you feel, did you feel um, a sensation of beings or other energies around you at that time? Yeah, I remember? I mean, even as, as you say it, uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm I'm very open right now. Like I, I'm open to when someone says something, I instantly see the pictures of them. And uh, and there were no different than when I was on the mountain, uh, and these beings were around me. Mm -hmm. The beings were around me there too, at on the table, and even in the light, uh, just there without being there. Mm -hmm. you know uh and who knows what that really is like is that god is that a step in between here and god you know when i say god i'm talking about the creator the thing mm -hmm. that started consciousness whatever that is i i don't know if anybody has even a real awareness of what that is i know that the thing that created everything is too big to be in this body at once all of it it's not like it's not like i can just welcome the universe into my body and know that so in order to connect to that i actually would have to leave this body to really get that level of awareness yet i can interpret it from my vantage point where i where I am now. And so when I when I look at that, those beings, when they're helping me in from this space, they're a step before that or a step after the original. Uh, mm -hmm. Yet when I'm out of this meat suit, I can go back to the original. So they were there, there were beings around me at the table, 
yet that was different than the being that spoke to me. And I'm only calling it a being because that's my, that's my language. Yet it's not a being, like a three-dimensional being. It's a mm -hmm. spirit or whatever. We'll leave it as spirit in this moment. So <clears throat> do you want to go straight into talking about your first vision quest or do you want to go through your early years first before that school? I mean, yeah, we can go early years. I mean, my early years are, they were fun. You know, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I, that I picked parents that kept it fun. I mean, I had a lot of fun growing up. I mean, growing up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, especially back then, I don't know what it's like now could run outside and play and nobody was, that was that was what it was in the 70s. There weren't too many people thinking about their kids being on the back of a milk cart, right? So it was go out, have fun, hang out with your friends. It was easy babysitting for my parents <laughs> because we were all together. We were running around like a little pack of, pack of wolves, right? And, and having a good time. So I love, thinking back to those days in Baton Rouge and, and frogs and the woods and the bayou not too far and, and my dad going out fishing and eventually I learned to fish and, and all those things that that was a blessing to have that level of a childhood um, and then we moved around a lot for my dad to figure out going from the west coast back to the south to the East Coast, figuring out, all right, what did he want to do uh, in his career? And that's what landed us in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, my dad pursuing the government and going on to be somebody that really was a high-powered person in the government. And, um, and so I got to, that was part of it too, part of my journey was watching him speak on on stages where he was commanding the show. And so I, I always felt like even when I was three, four years old at church, I would sit there and be like, all right, why aren't they listening to me? I should be up there. That was just some weird thing inside of me. <laughs> off, just wanted to be in front guiding people. And so when I got to see that of my dad and, and he would tell me what it was like and and give me little little tricks along the way, like. If uh, I remember him saying to me at one point after he was giving a talk, he's like, and he's like, what'd you think? And I was just like, you used a lot of big words. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and he was like, that's not what it's about. It's not about using the big words. If your audience can't hear you, then who are you talking to? Speak to people as if you want to be heard and you want them to get you and then listen to them too. So he was always guiding. That, that's kind of my, my dad in a nutshell is uh, the level of scientist that he is. I feel like he was always playing science with light. You know, it was all an experiment. So then it was always, all right, you're gonna, you're gonna start playing sports at seven. Okay, this is what it looks like. And, and uh, this is how you do it. And you listen to your coach and you listen to your elders like he was always teaching and so was my mom uh, mm. different from my dad though my dad was always teaching like this is how it's gonna go my mom was always teaching from a space of if you love me then you're gonna make sure that I know it in the end you know 
And she was always that level of love for me. So I had the discipline of uh, my father and I had the love of my mother and it was the perfect balance really, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, not to say that I, I'm perfect, even though I am perfect, uh, because everything that God created was perfect, right? So, and even, you know, that people say this thing, things are perfectly imperfect. No, can't, that's not possible. If it's, if it's perfectly imperfect, it's just perfect. No matter what it is, it's just perfect. And so I've been okay with that, you know, the side steps that took me in a way that, that, showed me that it could be another way those were perfectly designed for me to go through you know and that's anybody like now the miss for me is if i don't pick up the awareness along the way and fortunately with my parents they helped me see that what were the misses what where could i go another direction how could i be a different person so i i just i'm very fortunate that i grew up with my parents the way i did they were they were very calculated. We are all born four and a half years apart with the expectation that we would go to college and you got an extra semester and you better be out before the next person comes. And so, you know, it was just, it was a great, I, I, the older I get, the more I appreciate my, my upbringing because it's even shaped me as a parent for sure. So, but I mean, early on, you, you, you're, you're, your color was was um, a, a thing that confused people early on, wasn't it? Even when you were a baby and the nurse brought you over to the side. No doubt. I mean, I, I my children, obviously, uh, their mom is white. So they've even been diluted down, right? But all of our, our baby pictures are exactly the same. And so in the beginning, yeah, people thought I was a white baby. And um, and because of that, they went and found my mom thinking she was possibly a white lady. She ends up teaching for the, uh, the KKK. Uh, and, and because she was there, they and the news cameras were following her. She, my mom always stepped into things differently than most. And she, she was able to have those kids that she taught, those children, begin to see something different. And eventually they, when they got older, they wrote her like, hey, thank you. Thank you for being in our lives. And I think that's a big part of what has shaped me are two parents that never judged anybody, even if they were the most racist people. I mean, our neighbor was a race, was racist as heck when we first moved to DC. And he and my dad became best friends. I, mm. I, I, and I honored that because it's like when I or anybody stay in my integrity, you have to see me for who I am. Now you can stay ignorant. That's on you. Yet if you see me for my integrity and you're like, man, this, this joker over here that I called my friend doesn't ever care about me when I'm down, but this person does. Eventually that starts to break through, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, I take a lot of honor and pride in that, that, that I've been guided by people that were love that you can't deny it, you know, that, mm -hmm. like stayed, you know, have I made turns that 
someone could say, oh, that shouldn't have been done that way. Yeah, thanks. Where were you when I was about to do it? Because <laughs> nobody told me that. And that's why I did some of the things I did. And now I know, you know, and that's part of learning for everyone. If we're willing to really look at it, admit it, own it, move on. Most, a lot of people I see it in the world today, people want to deny. And it's like, no, that's you on the camera. You know, we got cameras everywhere. Now, that's you. It's hard to deny. You did that. So you better own it and move on. And, uh, and, I, and I've, I've loved that. I learned that because it was something that allows me to diffuse situations. Yep, I'm a jerk. Now what? I know you still want to call me a jerk. You want to tell me about the thing I did. I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk. You still want to stay there because I'm done with me being a jerk. Or do you want to actually figure out how, where we can go next? You know, mm -hmm. and own it. So many people won't own their side of the street, what they're bringing to the table. If everybody just did that, we'd have a different world instantly. Clean up this junk. So, yeah, I... I definitely value my childhood and all the many things that came along the way from, I've had outstanding teachers in my life. I've had great coaches. I've had uh, parents that were amazing. My sister and brother, we, we rarely argued uh, as we got older, me and my brother, you know, we we're both raised to be alpha male. So we, we all, we're always often jockeying for who's going to take the lead yet don't mess with my brother. And he would probably say the same thing, you know, because, because we're going to be there for each other uh, when it's time and needed. So I, I, I really do uh, love my childhood and all the moments in between, you know, I was, I was an ornery kid, which meant I got the belt an awful lot. <laughs> and I, I, I'm very fortunate that at this point in my life, I can laugh about that. You know, it didn't mean my dad didn't love me. He actually loved me because he cared to step in when I would go punch a cop or, you know, the crazy things that, that happened in my life. And he would step in and own it and love me enough to care to stand. Like mm -hmm. people, people act like, no, I love you if I just let you keep being a muck. No, you actually don't because the world's not going to love you. The, the world's not going to accept these pain in the butt adults. Like eventually people don't like that. So to me, that's part of love and love is everything. So it has to be tempered with everything when it's appropriate. And I, I had that in my childhood and I, I love, I, I mean, I think about all the people all the time, like my soccer coaches, uh, my coach, coach Stevens that took us over to play in England over in, over on your side of the pond and, and uh, my football coach, Coach Harville, that helped me to, to grow into being a man. I mean, after I left college, now this was my high school coach. After I left college, he would meet me once a year for breakfast at our coaches convention and guide me in my life. I was always his guy, but that was just, you played for me, so you're my guy. Like every, and he'd call me, Sid, are you in town? Because where are we? when are we getting breakfast uh, coach? And I would be like, you know, all those things. And it was just great. I, I love my, I love my upbringing. It's gotten me here. 
and uh, and I value all of it for sure. So when you were brought up um, a Catholic, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, what time did at what point did you did you start speaking to your father, and what was his reaction, for example, to all this other um, ethereal? So was he was he at all concerned about that or? I think so. I mean, at first, not my mom. My mom, my mom was really easy about everything. But my father was like, "Okay, uh, what's this yoga thing?" Especially because I, I, when I got into yoga, I was leaving uh, coaching football. That he had finally accepted as this is your this is your journey, man. You should be a coach. And then I said, "Well." Uh, on the same day he said that, I said, I, I'm leaving. What do you mean leaving? I'm leaving. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm going to go teach yoga. And this was in 2004. So he was like, what the heck is yoga? You're going to do what? And, uh, and so, yeah, I left. And, and that, that began to look, challenge everybody's thought process. So many people thought that, oh, if you're a yogi, well, then you must not believe in Jesus. Well, I didn't say anything about Jesus. I'm doing yoga. I didn't got anything to do with Jesus. Actually, my yoga practice helped me to know Jesus better as my brother, you know? So yeah, initially that was tough, uh, getting people to, to see it. And then as they saw it changing me, it didn't matter. Like proof's in the pudding. That's coach's statement. And there was just proof that I am a different person. Well, the one thing I had was yoga. Wasn't the women in my life because they came and went, you know, it was, it was my yoga practice that was there. And so that began to look different. And then when I said, all right, I'm in this yoga thing. And now here it is 2006. I'm going to go sit on the mountains without food or water, even though that's my parents uh, lineage comes through that they didn't grow up in that practice or near the reservations and all those things. So when I said, I'm going to sit on the mountain, my brother called and was like, man, are you going to commit suicide? <laughs> you know, that was, uh, that was part of it. So it was definitely different. And then over time, it, it just became easier and easier because I was, I was getting easier and easier. Um, and, and so your father, your parents, were they slightly concerned? They didn't come to your first quest. They didn't. They, it wasn't till later on. Um, what kind of conversations did you have like that around all this stuff that you were learning about yourself and and feeling and understanding um, that that doesn't chime with yeah, you, you know, like your parents' version of this is how things happen and what you're talking about, kind of a thing. Well, one was one part of the conversation was I remember my dad saying, how do you even get into this? Because this my dad and I used to have our biggest conversations when I was cutting his hair because he couldn't he couldn't squirm. He couldn't talk. He couldn't do anything because I'd be like, hey, man, you're going to screw your hair up. So I could actually talk. That was the best place for me to talk to my dad. And uh, and so at one point he was like, how'd you get into this? And I was like, man, hold up what do you mean how to get into this? Have you looked around your house? You got a, a picture of Shiva on the wall because that's science. You've got all the different books, the Torah, the, 
the Quran. You've got all these books in the house and you thought I would just see the Bible. I don't even know where the Bible is in the house. Like all these other books are right on the bookshelf. So that was kind of initial, like, hey, you raised me here. I, I didn't come here thinking about whether or not to be Catholic. And then on top of that, you put me in a church where people are racist. You think I want to be around that? No, these people aren't it. I don't care how much Jesus did. I, I know my brother is a, a solid person caring about, but that's not what his people are doing. So I don't want to be here. It doesn't make any sense. And at that time, I was a little more strong with my words. Like, no, you got a bunch of idiots around here. I don't want to be around a bunch of idiots. So this is why I'm doing this. I'm trying to figure out life because this part of it isn't getting it done for me. So that was the initial pushback. And then mm -hmm. I remember the next time we had a major conversation when I was cutting his hair again, uh, he was like, so tell me about it. Who's, who's the leader of, of yoga? And, and I, you know, I was like, oh gosh, here we go. And, um, you know, for me, it's Jesus. He was like, what? I was like, well, Jesus is the greatest yogi there ever been. So I, I look at Jesus as my guy to guide my life. Now, part of me was just stating that because it was like, I haven't abandoned Jesus. I told you I'm not in, into going to church every day because that was, that was the conversation all the time. When you're going back to church, going to church today, be like, no, I'm not going to church. Then I married Liz and, oh, well, Liz will get you back in the church. Actually, because you said that, I'm probably never going because you keep trying to push. That's just who I am. Don't push me into something because I'll show you that I don't have to, to be a good person. Like that's not a true statement. Uh, so I, I've always challenged those, those statements because I know that statements aren't truth. Rarely mm -hmm. just because you state something, that's not the truth. I could show you, I could show you people around the world that aren't Catholic, that are great people that are connected to God, that are going to whatever is next in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, so I, I, I pushed back a lot like that. And, uh, and fortunately we kept going and we kept finding different things. I'd be like, all right, uh, well, what about the book? What about uh, Matthew gospel and, all these other things that weren't there. And I kept finding, I kept searching. How can I find, find more? And, uh, and we just kept going. And fortunately, my dad is somebody, uh, more so than my mom, because my mom, like I said, she just didn't really, even though my mom's quietly stubborn, because my dad would say, you know, your mom's more stubborn than I am. <laughs> uh, yet, she would do it quietly and peacefully. So there was never a lot of push, even though we would talk about things. My dad's more pushed back. So we would push on each other. Yet the more I evolved, the more my dad evolved and we evolved together. And we got to that point of just being at peace. You know, I remember when there's a song I wrote called Give Me Peace and I'll Take the Pieces. And that was something my dad said to me. He was like, man, you know, when we finally found our way to peace, he was like, you know, we never used to have peace together. And I was like, I know. 
and uh and and I said something like, you know, just give me peace and I can take all the pieces. And he said, that's got to be a song. And so I went and wrote a song about it. But it was a journey. I, I, I think anyone stepping away from how they were raised is going to create a sense of dis-ease. And if we keep going and let it settle, it'll settle. Because it settled in my life, that's for sure. Was were your parents ever consent? I mean, did they have? Did, did, uh, I'm talking about your father, but I mean, did he ever say, "I, I don't want to hear you talking about this nonsense of other worlds and other beings and all of this"? Stop talking like that. Did was he actually at any time concerned for you, your mental well-being? And uh, that that I mean, did he did he misunderstand where you were to that extent? How did you come together? I would say, you know, no. Now, they may have had discussions without me, but, but I was such a fighter that, and so aggressive about wherever I stood, my parents got to know that, you know, if we push him, he's going to do it despite us. You know, <laughs> that's just the nature of who I am. So, <laughs> they were smart enough to let it, to just watch and always be there if I needed, if they had ever thought that I was, you know, like getting sucked into somebody's poor dialogue or, or doctrine or, you know, getting taken down a path. If they had ever felt like that, they would have stepped in. Yet mm -hmm. it was never like that. They could see me becoming more peaceful. They could see me becoming easier to be around and, and navigating relationships with my sister and brother and they could see it. So then it was like, nah, that's, that's, that's something good. So I, and I rec I say that when I talk to people and they're like, well, how do I get my family involved? Well, why do you want them involved? Cause I know peace. All right. Well, if you know peace, then if you bring peace to the environment, they're just gonna see you as that and wonder, all right, how do they get it too? So that, that's something that I eventually learned was when I had it, other people wanted it. So I just wanted to demonstrate what it really looked like, you know. So how did you, um, how did you come to know about this, um, the Native American side of your, uh, your, your genetics really? Uh, and how did you find out about their traditions and, and, and incorporate that into your practices um, and then find out about vision quest? Where did, it, where did that all start from, the shaman side? Yeah, the first part of it was, I remember we had, uh, it was a family reunion and my aunt, Aunt Desiree, my dad's sister, showed up with... Um, a family tree. She had been doing all this research and going back, finding the Bibles and, you know, cause in the old days, they used to write everybody's information in the Bible and they passed the Bible, right? So she found things like that and started piecing it all together. So at one point on the last day of the family reunion, she set everybody down and, and, and said, all right, who wants to know about the family? This is it. I've got it all. Like, here's my dad's, dad and mom and 
my mom's mom and dad and, and went through and, and showed it all. And, and my grandmother's 21 siblings and like all the different stuff. And I paid attention, you know, I, and I, and when she said on my dad's side that they were Blackfeet Indians, uh, and then on my mom's side, uh, my mom chimed in and talked about her, her grandmother uh, being full-blooded Indian. That, that became it. Like that was okay. Uh, I'm paying attention. So that was, that was, that was the first you knew about that side of your ancestry. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of knew, and my parents had a lot of Native American pictures in our house. And I could see in the pictures of, uh, of the, they have a big table with as old back pictures as they have with all these people on the table. So I would look at them and, and then I, you know, as a kid, I would just kind of compare them to who am I looking at on this table? Who am I looking at on TV or in a magazine or whatever? And I could tell who they were. So that was the initial. Then, and it, so it was always there and I never felt, I rarely felt at home with anyone. Like I'd go, you know, I grew up in uh, predominantly white environments, growing, going to school uh, often, unless I went and hung with my friends uh, who were in uh, lower economic developments and things like that. But I was predominantly in mixed areas. So, but I never felt at home. And then I went to uh, coaching white schools, same thing. And then finally I went and I coached at a HBCU, a historically black uh, college university. And I didn't feel at home. I just, I never could find home. And then finally I took my kids to a powwow and I looked around and all these little kids looked like my kids. And that was the first time I really was like, damn, I'm home. This is home for me. This is, this is something I need to explore. And that, I was, that was when I was about to come out of coaching football. So like 2003. And then in 2006, I met grandmother Morningstar who adopted me in the native American customs. And she guided me and she's Blackfeet and Cherokee, you know, Scottish and French. That was a lot of my makeup comes through that with, as well as Egyptian. And, and so I, I began to, that's when I started to learn. Like she, she guided me so much on that path that I started seeing it uh, and, and just got hungry for it. Like it really, it, wake, it awakened something in me that I had to go figure out. Yeah. So how, how did you meet her? How, how did that come about? We were in, uh, at the time I, I had already left football and, and I was in yoga and we were going to, there's this place here in the States called Omega Institute. Uh, and people come from all over the world and, and they were putting on this conference and myself and my, my wife at the time were asked if we would come and assist. So we went and Titnut Han was there, and, uh, Sean Korn and one of the Kennedys and all these different people. So I was assisting, helping them set up their rooms and whatever they needed. And when we first got there, I had, I had started having experiences with 
uh, hawks and I was seeing hawks all the time. Like I, I still see hawks. I mean, I have a huge bird on a tattoo on my back of golden eagle. And uh, as we were going around, there was this Native American jewelry stand. And so I went to the stand and, and I started talking to the lady, Gemma. And I asked her, do you have anything with a hawk on it? She was like, why do you ask? And I was like, because I see hawks all the time. And, I just, and I'm, I'm part native. I don't really know it, but I want to know it. And, and uh, so I just want to, I want to, that was just my way of clinging to and wanting that part of me to grow, you know. And she was like, so we don't have any jewelry with it, yet uh, our elder of the land is here, Grandmother Morningstar, and I think you need to meet her. She knows you're here. She knows you're coming. She knows that there's somebody she's supposed to meet. I'm pretty sure it's you. And, uh, and, I, and then she said, and there is a, uh, yesterday a hawk died and it told me to bring feathers for you. So here's a bag of feathers. I need you to pick four feathers out of here and come back and meet Jeannie, Grandmother Morningstar, tomorrow. And uh, so I, I, that was the beginning. That was the beginning That's, of the major shift. The, so she just said, oh, this is if that's normal. I knew you were coming. You got to meet this. So, I mean, at that point, you're a stranger. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I had gotten to a point where I, I really was looking to heal me so much, having been angry, having felt hurt, all those things. I, I was looking, I was in a relationship that we argued all the time. I knew it was, I just had to have something, something to cling to, you know. Um, and, you know, I needed hope until I figured out what I knew, you know. So I, uh, so I, I, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even hesitate to, acknowledge it. Now I had been through some things in yoga uh, on the spiritual uh, mystical side of things that I was just like, all right, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm coming back. I'll be back to meet her. Uh, so okay. Then, yeah. Do you, want to, do you want to talk about your yoga experiences? Because that is so like diametrically opposed to football coaching and, and all of it. <laughs> All of a sudden you go, now we're going to do down dog. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yoga, what people don't get about me is I, I, I've always been called to things, even though eventually I say yes and I go do it. Like I, when I was a strength coach at Purdue, my buddy said, Hey man, we should go into football. They're hiring a lot of people quickly. You, we can move through coaching. And I was like, Really? Okay, I'll coach that. And that's how I got into coaching. When I was wow. in yoga or when I was in football, the coaches wanted the players to heal their bodies and they saw me and they were like, you do this thing. Can you teach them yoga? And eventually the school paid for me to go study yoga so that I could teach to college kids, teach to the professors and teach to the football team. Wow. And then everybody kept asking me to teach and I was teaching all over the place. So then I started, uh, we opened yoga studios because I needed, I was getting called to it. The only way I could 
service all these people where to open studios. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, I want to open a yoga studio and then go figure out how to open a yoga studio. We just said, and I said it to my wife at the time, give me four walls and a hardwood floor and I can teach yoga. That's a yoga studio. That's all I need. Find it. And she did. And that was it. And so that took me on that journey, you know, and that's, that's how life is. Early on, I mean, did you, because they talk about um, Kundalini and all this kind of, I mean, do you remember when you were learning yoga, did you remember having one of these, like you said, spiritual experiences? Yeah, I had a lot of, I mean, you know, I, one point, um, I was driving to recruit in Pittsburgh and I was taking Heather with me. Uh, and we were driving and all of a sudden the, the snow just started coming. It's a blizzard now. I got to pull over, figure out if I should keep going or if we should turn back and not go recruit in Pittsburgh. And when I pulled over, all of a sudden she started talking but she, she, she was asleep, but she's talking and she's telling me all of this stuff uh, that was different. Like she was saying, we know who you are. You, your, your journey is well beyond what you know, but we sent you here for a reason. So this voice in essence is speaking through my wife at the time. And then when I when I finally said, all right, we're gonna move and we're going back, she woke up and she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, you don't know what was going on? Like, you were just talking to me and the stuff you were saying was different. So we went and we, and we turned around, we went to a hotel room, uh, a Marriott, Courtyard Marriott. And uh, same thing happened in the middle of the night. This energy came through as she set up, she started talking to me. And Were you then, not scared? I, I would run out the room. Eventually I did. The third time it happened, and I was like, hold up, stop, stop, stop. Uh, the only thing I could think was like, it was like the exorcist, right? That's all I could picture. And so I, the next day, so I, I got her to stop. She was laughing because I, I, to her, I must have looked really hysterical, but it didn't seem like anything to her. The next day, someone walks in and goes, my spiritual teacher is aware that you had an experience and she wants to help you. And we went and met with this lady for next year. And, wow. uh, and she knew that we were having a Kundalini awakening. I have no clue how she knew, but she knew. And we hadn't told anybody because this is literally happened that night. We go to our yoga studio. Lady walks in the door and says, my teacher wants to see you. <laughs> and uh so we got to know her we went through all of that i mean i had there was there were times that things uh moved that that were different i mean when it comes to yoga or in christianity they call it the holy spirit or in in china they call it chi when that energy awakens in you it will find, at least it did for me, it will find anywhere in your body that it's stuck, that your body's not completely open, and it will move into those places. And that's actually how yoga started. Yoga started where people were already connected. They would sit and meditate, and they would take on these poses that people do now, 
they would take on these poses in order for their body to truly be connected. See, people have this, this false narrative that says all this stuff is possibly demonic and this, no, it's not. It's actually, it just is what it is. That's why people's body, let somebody get inflexible in their body and they get inflexible in their mind and in their life. Let somebody get more flexible and the energy freely moving. They just seem like a nice, peaceful person. That's real. Those things are real. And it, it's been documented in the yoga sutras. Like you said, Kundalini awakening. Uh, the Kriyas that Swami Muktananda talked about. And all these different things. Yes, I've been in the experience of them. So they don't scare me. Because I'm still, most people would have no clue that I can even talk like this. Right. They most people look at me and say, oh, that's a football coach. Oh, I trust him because he's a football coach and he seems so strong and this, that and the other. And they don't know the experiences. And then if they find out the experience from someone else, yet they've been talking to me and they're like, hey, that's great. Great guy. He's peaceful. He's this. They go talk to someone that's dressed like a yogi with a turban on or something like that. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I, I can't be around you. No, it's not about that. So that's partially why I don't, I stay away from all those things, like dressing like a yogi, which I did at one point in my life. Uh, all those boxes, don't put me in a box. Let's just keep going and see what's, what's really here beyond the mental garbage. So you're able to kind of normalize yoga and, and all its um, esoteric sort of, connotations um, because you just treated it like normal and spoke about it like normal. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a teacher once say to me, just because you can say Sanskrit doesn't make you a yogi. If nobody else can understand you or you're scaring everybody else, that's not really what yoga is about. <laughs> you know, so I learned to speak yoga without it being yoga needs you know and just teaching you how to stretch your body people stretch all the time people practice bhakti yoga bhakti yoga what is that devotion people go to church all the time they don't even know they're practicing yoga they've been practicing yoga because yoga was here before their religions so they they learn to pray and all these things from yoga but yet they're scared of yoga that's because yoga might take you a little deeper than what you're ready to go to. Not because yoga is bad. You just might get open. And, you know, I used to think of it like this with church. Stand up, sit down. Stand up, sit down. Pray. Stand up, sit down. That's it. For me, that wasn't enough yoga. I needed to move more than that. Like that stuff just, I'd end up falling asleep. It wasn't keeping me awake. Or I'd be ornery and want to run around the church. So I needed some stuff to like work me out. And that's where my yoga practice came in. And I suppose um, praying and doing the rosary beads and all that kind of thing is a kind of meditation. Oh, definitely. Um, so, so, so then you were at this, sorry, I interrupted you, but you, you were at this event and this is where you were going to meet your, your kind of native grandmother. And so we met. Um, the first time I came to her and met with her and whenever I would come, they would get really busy. 
but she'd be like, nobody's here until you come. So I, I came back second time, still really busy. Came back third time, still really busy. Finally, I came back the fourth time because I, I, I told everyone I have to go. I have to go and uh, see this little Native American lady because I was having a meltdown. Like I was, I was ready. I could feel myself ready to cry. I was just struggling. So I, I went back and I found her. And now I'm sweating. I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm shivering. I'm uh, every emotion was coming to the surface. I'm sweating. I'm I'm crying. I'm laughing. And she looked at me and she put her hands on my shoulders. She said, "It's going to be okay." And I and I somehow I just knew that it was going to be okay. And I said, "I know." And, uh, and then she hugged me, and all of a sudden, electricity went up and down my body four times. And she was interviewed once and she told him, she said, I knew right then in that moment, I had to, I had to be there for him because his world was about to flip upside down. And uh, yeah, it sure did. Well, you, I mean, were you, were you actually having um, like a kind of breakdown right in front of this lady or, or was it all just a culmination of all this under new understanding? I mean, what what do you think was happening at that exact moment when everything was going on in your body? I mean, I was being awakened. You know, they, I I actually had felt that energy that uh, the Holy Spirit, the Kundalini, moving in my body, like it was moving so much that uh, I was questioning why it felt like my my root chakra was vibrating. Like I used to think it was my phone. And uh, so that was moving. I didn't know that it was every time I came back to see her, it was almost like it was being called forward, called up in my body. And so uh, on that fourth time when I came back, it was the, the stand was packed and, and she just said, ah, everybody, I gotta, I gotta go help her. Like she, she could see it because I, 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 I'm sure I had a look of sadness on my face, but I was smiling and laughing. She could see it all. Like it was all happening. Uh, and she had been working with people for so long. She was one of the first Course of Miracles teachers. And, and so she just took me in her arms and hugged me. And uh, what was amazing was when I went back, went to her house for the first time I went to when I went to a sweat lodge, uh, she literally had transformed. Because when I first saw her, I saw a little Native American lady dressed in like, you know, deer skin. And then when I got to her house, she's actually about my height, blonde haired, blue eyed Native American. And, uh, and, and so, that was that was strange and that that's that's what started to create the dynamic of her adopting me because the grandmothers like the palladian grandmothers were speaking through her to me so then she she knew that she would take on being my grandmother on earth uh and that's that's how that happened she didn't even know the first time she called me grandson, she didn't know. Everybody else told her. She was like, really? No, I didn't. And then she came and asked me and I said, yeah, you've called me that a few times. She was like, 
oh, hold on, I'll be back. And then she went and meditated on it and, and was then came back and was like, so I need to let you know that I said that I would help you through this process as your grandma, uh, representing the Palladian grandmother. What do you think? And I, I, I loved her instantly. I, I knew that. Like, I, I just was like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And again, did you did you relay any of this to your, your parents or your family? Or did you keep it to yourself because they wouldn't understand? Or... I mean, you initially, initially, I kept it, kept it to myself. Uh, and then after, after a while, I, I just started calling her grandmother. And so, and now my parents, for whatever reason, I have like maybe four or five adopted grandmothers. Like all the little older ladies would always want to take me in and call me grandson and, um, uh, Ruby Giddens from Barbados. I mean, I can go, I can go to Barbados today and, and they'll be like, wait a minute, who are you? And I'll say, I'm, I'm Ruby Giddens adopted grandson. Oh, she's like a queen in, in Barbados. And, and so, yeah, that's always been part of my journey. I've always had uh, older women that have been the kindness that I needed at any point in time. Okay, so is a sweat lodge a kind of stage towards the quest? When, when did you find out about all that? Is, is there a series of, is there a series or a process you have to go through before you even allowed to do a vision quest? Well, typically, yes. Um, typically there is because there just is a process. And one, one of them being, it's rare that someone comes from outside, you know, you have to be around uh, because so many things happen with myself and grandmother Morningstar, they moved me fast. So first sweat lodge and then they said, hey, we think you ought to go on vision quest, your life needs it. So then it was a lot quicker where typically you prepare for a year. That was just before my birthday, so June and I was going in September. So I, all that had to be done in a year I did in three months and uh, and prepared and, and then went on that first vision quest. And then instantly when that one was done, I, I said I'd go back out uh, for the next year. And that's just been my nature. I've always run. I ran before I walked. And, and when it came to that, I was like, I'm in and I'm going to keep going till I finish. And then when I was done, I was done. Well, you told, you know, this is what you've got to do. And. These are the different prayers you got to say, and this is the stuff you have to have around you. I mean, you'd have gone through a process of learning, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even, even with uh, the first uh, vision or first sweat lodge, they taught me everything. I had to work on the fire. I had to work on the building the lodge. I had to work on the spirit path. And it was, it's kind of a Native American thing that nobody gives you a book of what to do. If you really want to know, you follow the customs, you get involved. And, and that's how I became a, a lodge pourer and, and, and able to do everything because 
instantly it all was awakened. I knew it all. So even um, when we finally had TP ceremony, you know, they gave me peyote and said, take it home, see if you can grow it. And we'll see if you're meant to be a medicine man. It was just kind of how things work. Well, it's in my head. Did you, did you experience any resentment from the, 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 the native family that you were coming into? And... Yeah, I did. I, I did experience a little bit of resistance because there were people that had been with Grandmother Morningstar since 1985 that she hadn't taken on as relatives. So who's this new guy that nobody knows that you just adopted as a grandson? And, uh, and so there was a little bit of that uh, that showed up, yet I was pretty much, I was embraced by everybody. Uh, one, because I'm quiet, you know, I, I think that helps when you're walking into a strange place. And I, I'm okay, I'm okay being coached, you know, that's a part of my makeup. So people didn't see any resistance in me, so they didn't meet me with resistance too much. But that was definitely questioned for her. And she's so nice and lovely that everyone just accepts what she's going to do anyway. <laughs> I'm really intrigued now to know, like, almost every second of what happened on your first quest. Were you told what to expect or were you just told to sit and say prayers and see what happens and then when it happened? How did you feel? I mean, I just want to know everything about it. <laughs> so when I first, uh, when I first said, yes, I'll go. And I asked, presented tobacco and all that stuff. Um, at first, I w there wasn't much I was told because I had, I had to prepare in three months for what it took, normally takes a year. So they made sure I was just going and getting all that stuff done. So I wasn't really told what was gonna happen so much that I didn't even know how to really, I knew I did, couldn't eat meat, dairy, sugar, alcohol. All, I knew I had to remove that, I, but yet I wasn't a vegetarian. So I went from like 190 pounds to 147 because I didn't even know how to eat, but I was just committed to doing this. So I didn't get all those things. And then all of a sudden, when I got there to go out, uh, that's when everything really hit me like, okay, this is for real. You know, there was fog coming across the lake and I could see feet walking, legs walking underneath the fog. And they're like, oh, look, the fog people are here for you. Or uh, you could see across the lake, there was energy coming in, what they say is the vortex. So then, they were like, oh, look, the grandmothers are sitting, waiting for you to come across. So they were saying all these things that were here. And, and for me, that was, that was a little startling, knowing that I was going to go sit out on a mountain with nobody there, no weapons, no nothing, and just have to deal with the elements as they came in. That was different, for sure. So... Um, um... I keep going back to this, were you not scared? Um, and so all these, you know, when, like, animals came and were you, were you expected to kind of defend yourself with your bare fists? Or, I mean, how do you protect yourself? Is there, 
is there a kind of spiritual protection or something? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how it must have felt to be so alone um, and be seeing all these new things and experiencing these new things and, and trying to understand it all. I mean, at one point, did you not think to yourself, this is crazy? Or did you just think, right, I've arrived, I know why I'm here, kind of thing? Well, I had, um, fortunately, I, you know, I was a Boy Scout. And because of that, I had somewhat of an idea of camping, right? So sitting underneath the stars, I at least had that. Yet when animals would come, that was unnerving. Yet I was told that the prayers that I had created and spirit would always protect me. So I, I, I felt like I was just protected sitting in the prayer circle. Now, so the animals wasn't, wasn't that unnerving. What was unnerving was when the second night came and I heard a voice start speaking. It was a deep voice and he jumped off a horse and it was kind of like, all right. And I looked around, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear the, the footprints coming my way. And I could hear it say, I've got your grandson, you know, in this deep voice. And then took my head and pushed me further into my sleeping bag and closed the sleeping bag. Because I was getting bit by mos mosquitoes. And it, the voice said, go deeper, grandson. And so that that was different that was that was the beginning of okay there's there, there's way more than what i know in this in this realm and what i i know now is having spent that kind of time um getting over food you know i didn't have food or water um which then meant my energy was heightened all of that stuff is here we're just usually too dense to be in the space of where that is. And so for me, that was, uh, that was just part of it. That was part of the, the experience, but yes, it was definitely somewhat scary to, uh, to go through that at first, for sure. And I mean, at first that must've felt like there's an animal coming, there's a man coming. I mean, um, you know, did you at some did you at some point think because people say oh starvation is bad for you, fasting is actually very clarifying as we know. Um, but at any point did you think, am I hallucinating? And if I'm not, what am I supposed to be hearing or learning? At any point did you sort of? At one point, I thought I was hungry. I prayed. They said, if you pray, we'll put logs on the fire, we'll, we'll hear you, you'll see the smoke go up, you won't be hungry anymore. So that happened, and, and so I trusted that. So I wasn't hungry, and I actually felt more energized. My body knew how to operate, meaning that it urinated a couple times, but it ne I never defecated until I was done. 
Like I would go to the bathroom before I left. Four days later, I'd come back and I'd go to the bathroom. That was it. My body knew my body would take on and actually operate the way it needed to. It knew, all right, we need, we need to keep in the reserves, keep it here. And so let's see what we can, what we need and what we have to discard later and blah, blah, blah. So I never felt like I was anywhere near a state of hallucination. Uh, one, I know what it's like to hallucinate, right? Like I, I, I did marijuana as a kid and, and, uh, and I uh, eventually have had other experiences. And so I never felt like I was out of my faculties. I, I truly felt like I was in control the whole time. And it was just real. Like it was, it was as real as it gets to hear these voices. It wasn't a, to hear a voice, to feel a hand on my head. It wasn't a, by any stretch, um, a figment of my imagination. It was real in that sense. I'd say if I, if, if I was anywhere near that and feeling hand on my head, and I'd be running back down those hills like, a, like an upright gay cog. So so when you did, I mean, I, I'd like to know slightly more, but I, I'd like to know what happened when you came back down from the mountains and what did you understand you should have learned from it and should bring forward in your life? Well, the first time I, uh, that first vision quest was really about looking inside of myself. I learned that everything was coming from inside of me. The way I was seeing the world was because of me, had nothing to do with anything anyone else was doing. Like, I didn't need to be upset with the people that were being jerks in my life. I could have had compassion for them. I really learned a lot about myself and what I was creating. You know, sitting out showed me, all right, nothing's happening, but yet I'm scared. Well, what am I scared of? I'm scared because I'm thinking something's about to happen, not because it's happening. You know, I, I learned a lot of that and it became really a space that I had to accept that I was the one that needed to be accountable for why things were looking the way they were in my life. And that began to heal my life. That was really a major step to peace was, okay, I'm the one in this and I'm the one that's created it all. So I've got to actually look into myself. But it wasn't anything new to you. I mean, finally, and I know I have to let you go and I don't want to, but, um, you know, Finally, did you understand there is a, an energetic, like physical kinetic power in, in all of this? I mean, I know earlier on you, you did experience um, something with um, a hurricane that you kind of were part of creating. Is that right? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I had had that experience of fights happening inside of me and disrupting the energy around me, like storms coming. I could close, calm myself down, the storm would pause. I'd make myself mad again, the storm would come. And I, I played with, with that essence before. So then when I was on the mountains, 
I, I did learn that there was even more to it than that. Like these were all moments of looking at, all right, how am I dancing on the inside with this thing outside of me? When I say this thing, I'm talking all of creation. And so I got to see that, you know, when I would pray, things were answered. I got to see how, how the laws of the universe were really moving with me, how my thoughts were creating my reality, how my, uh, how sitting, there was really power in, in the stillness. And, and in the stillness, I could see how everything else was moving. And if I didn't like the way it was moving, I could adjust to that. You know, so I, I definitely got to learn so much from sitting that first time. I got to learn about myself, is what myself and how I was connected to everything else. And that gave me uh, just a lot of power to, to sit with and, and see and let that open. And then I had to apply it because they say, you know, every vision quest takes seven to 10 years to open up. So I had to take all those lessons and then bring them back, you know the interactions with the mouse that said, stop sweating the small things and everything's a small thing to the, the coyote that was a trickster, you know, really like, hey, we're just friendly. BS, they will bite your hand off. Like all the things I had to look at and, and get comfortable with and see, all right, how am I interacting with the universe as it is, for sure. And what did you tell yourself? I mean, what was your conclusion? How did you? So my conclusion really came down to um, from the first vision quest, my conclusion really was I am the common denominator in everything in my life. If I don't like the way it is, it's up to me to shift. You know, when I when I got back home, and grandmother Morningstar made me break up with my girlfriend. And then she made me write a list of everything I wanted in a person. And then she said, now I want you to go on dates and anything that's not, anyone is different than what you want on the list shifted in you and you'll never see them again. You'll see someone else. And, that, and I kept doing that until I got to a place that I was happy with me so I could be happy with someone else. And that's anyone. If they don't like what they're seeing in their life, then shift it in them and they'll see something else too. That's a difficult thing to do. I mean, if, if, if that's your girlfriend and this <clears throat> albeit trusted lady, <clears throat> I mean, our parents often say, just don't go out with him, chuck him. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but later on, for you to have the strength and, 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 and will to do that, with somebody you presumably were at least in love with. Um, um, I mean, it, it, is that the difference that it made was like, whatever you tell me to do now, I will do regardless of what it is, because you know there's a reason for it or another path you need to go down? Well, I, at the time I had, I knew I wasn't happy in my life. I'd had two marriages that didn't end up the way I wanted them. I was in this relationship with somebody that she was there yet, and it was fun. And she helped me get on the first vision quest. 
yet I wasn't sure where I was going to go. And grandmother just helped me see that. And she, I knew she was seeing something that, that I couldn't see. And she was right. I mean, it was, there was going to be some bumpy roads ahead and she could see that. So I, I trusted her. I trusted that no matter what she was going to say, I was willing to listen because I was finally starting to feel like there was a place of peace happening. A final question, sorry. Is that when you came to realize that you're not here just to live a life or teach something, but you're here? Is that when you found you, whether you knew what it was or not, that you did have a purpose? I mean, a real bigger picture purpose for being here? Yeah, I mean, when I was out on that first vision quest, one thing that happened also was my hands became really electric. And there was so much energy coming through them. At one point, they couldn't start the fire. And, and I heard, put your hands over him. And so I put my hands over the fire, our firemen, and the spark went. And, uh, and so I had this energy coming through. And I knew that uh, as I was working with uh, Grandmother Morningstar, I knew that everything was going to be different. You know, that I was starting to get called forward for different things that I didn't know were taking place. And and so yes, for sure. When I when I came out of there, I, and you know, all the different things, all the break up with with my girlfriend. Uh, getting called forward to help people heal with different things because they saw me in their dreams. Things, people started calling me forward in a way that was different than anything I had experienced. So that was it. I was starting to be called into my purpose for sure. And would I have called it that then? Not necessarily because I was just moving along, but it has from that moment, I have been called forward into my purpose for sure. Well, Sid, this is the first of four, and I'm glad because you've left me with more questions than, <laughs> than answers. Um, I've, I've got so much more to ask, and I'm really looking forward to our second meeting where you will tell us about your second vision quest. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to help me move through this process so people can know that it is definitely possible for them too to reach a higher place, step into their purpose, be the example the world needs. And we need everybody. It's up to all of us to do the work we need to do in order for the world to find peace. So thank you for your time. Thanks for tuning in to Rise with Sid. We're excited to keep going with you. So when you're ready to make it for you, the commitment to yourself, come check us out at artofpeacefulliving.com. We are excited to continue to rise with you. We rise together. Real impact supports everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Rise with Sid. Peace.